Peace, family. Welcome back to the Campaign TV show. I am your host, Brother King Cam. What's going on, family? We always want to lead off in the greeting words of peace. So in the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful, I bear witness there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad is his messenger. And I'd like to greet all of you in the greeting words of peace of Assalamu alaikum. So tonight, family, we are going to be watching an interview by Dr. Claude Anderson. And he's going to be talking to us about how the black vote is used to benefit everyone but blacks. So this is going to be special. We're going to be getting some gems, as always, and we're going to be getting some knowledge that we'll be able to use and take it back to our communities so that we can help our people. Because that's what this channel is all about. That's what this channel is all about, family. I'm doing well, Brother Tommy Miller. Brother Tommy Miller in the building. Make sure that you like, share, and that you engage, family. I need comments. I need you to push this out to as many people as possible because, again, that's the way that we increase our audience size. That's the way that we get this knowledge towards everybody that may not catch us on the first go-round, but they'll be able to catch the playback, family. So I want to welcome everybody that's coming in right now to the campaign TV show. I need you to like, share, comment, get this out, because this is going to be a very, very good show. We're going to be watching the interview done in 1995. That's how important this and relevant this information is. Dr. Claude Anderson did this interview in 1995, and it's almost exactly Everything he said back then happening today in 2020. So we're going to be going over that interview. We're going to be giving some commentary. And I would like to hear your thoughts in the comment section. I'm going to be putting up comments on the screen so you'll be able to see your comment. You'll be featured on the screen tonight, family. And if you've been uh, staying up to date with everything that we're doing, then I always put the comments up on the screen so you're able to check that out, family. So I want you to come on in. I'm going to actually share as well. You know, I got to get it engaged just like everybody else and uh, and try to share this out to as many people as possible. We know this is election season. You know, every four years we go and do the same song and dance every four years. So four years is upon us again. And it's another election cycle. We have people now, even more than ever, are very emotional about who they're voting for. One of the, th the things that Donald Trump has been able to do as president of the United States has been able to push the emotional button. So he has become a trigger for all of Black America. You can't even say Donald Trump's name in Black America without you catching some backlash or you being labeled a Trump supporter. Trump can't do nothing right. He can't wear his suit right without you being labeled a Trump supporter. You know, and it's crazy because I think this interview is very powerful, especially uh, in the midst of what our brother Ice Cube is doing with the contract with Black America. I think it helps bring it in into perspective because a lot of the backlash that Cube is getting is backlash that is unwarranted but not to mention the fact that it's coming from an area of the people who don't seem to be educated on exactly what Ice Cube is trying to do. But we are triggered emotionally 
because he sat down with Donald Trump. That's all you had to hear. And the rest of it was history. So we have to come out of that emotional state, uh, that emotional mind state, as the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan has taught us to rise above emotions into the thinking of God, because that is what is going to give you your logical decision making abilities, family. So, again, if you're just coming in, welcome. Welcome to the campaign TV show where we strive to put out value, value, value. We're talking to a heavily melanated audience and we're talking to a very intelligent audience who always gives positive feedback on the Facebook post. You know, we got people that's there to troll, but we don't mind them because we know that we're doing something positive, family. So, again, thank you all for coming watching, listening, and to all the people that are listening overseas, because this is international. You know, we have people that tap in from all over the world to listen to the campaign TV show. So we are thankful and grateful for all of you all who help us out here. So I'm going to go ahead and get this pulled up, family. And then we are boom, we're going to check this out, man. I, I, I'm going to get y'all thoughts in the comment section. So Make sure that y'all comment and let me know what's happening. Let me know what y'all thinking. I'm going to be giving some commentary. Boom. Y'all know how we do it. Y'all know how we do it. So I'm going to get this board all the way up. Boom. All right. And here we go, family. Dr. Claude Anderson, how the black voters use to benefit everyone but blacks. For over 300 years, blacks in America have been racially undermined by the government and barred from equal opportunity legally, politically, and economically. History shows blacks were the labor force responsible for the vast fortunes amassed in the United States and Europe in the 16th and 17th centuries. However, blacks control only 2% of the wealth in the United States. Good evening and welcome to Detroit Black Journal. I'm your host, Daryl Wood. Coming up on this edition of The Journal, we will engage in a revealing interview with Dr. Claude Anderson, author of Black Labor, White Wealth. In part one of a two-part discussion, we will find out why American public policy, by design, has created a permanent black underclass. That's straight ahead on Detroit Black Journal. Thanks for joining me on this edition of The Journal. With me for this edition is Dr. Claude Anderson, author of Black Labor, White Wealth, and he is also president of the Harvest Institute. Dr. Anderson, thank you for joining us on this edition of The Journal. Well, thank you for having me here. The Harvest Institute is a black think tank that has as its goal the reforming of American public policy as it relates to blacks. That's correct. What we want to do is get about the business for the first time in the history of this nation, design a policy that is strictly devoted to the economic and social reform of black America by giving them a national plan that would be proactive in resolving some of the major impediments and conflicts and developing broad racial strategies for dealing with white racism in this country. A major thrust in that direction is the release of your new text, 
Black Labor, White Wealth. That book is incredible in the respect that it destroys myths, long-held fallacies, lies, and illuminates history and factuality as it relates to the black condition in America. And by that, more specifically, the institutionalization of racism is exposed for what it really is in American society. You kick over some sacred cows in this book, don't you? Yes, I do. And that was my primary purpose. Uh, what I want to do, Darrell, in writing that book is two things. First of all, I want to send out a wake-up call to black America. And secondly, I want to show, I want to prove three things. First of all, is that are blacks in the predicament that we're in, and all, have we been in this predicament for 400 years because what's been told us, first of all, that it was by divine decree, or that it was genetically inherited, or was it really social engineering? I went back and found out it's primarily social engineering. That black folk in the, in the predicament they're in because of social engineering. And what we've been locked, what's happened to us all this time, Daryl, <clears throat> is that we've got locked into mm -hmm. a, the lowest status of a no-win monopoly game. That means that we've had wealth in this country redistributed or maldistributed based on skin color going from the lightest to the darkest, lightest, yellow, brown, black. And the wealth has been skewed. So what happens in this country now is you've got the white society controlling almost 100% of all the income, the wealth, the resources, the business, the corporations, the privileges, and all levels of government. And therein lies the problem. That's your problem. And the issue is race and resources. And black folk don't have to wear with all the change air conditions. And the reason that they have not historically in America had access is because of the way the, <clears throat> as you point out in the book, the legal system has been stacked against us. The political system has been stacked against us. The access to real <clears throat> property, wealth, money, land uh, has been prohibited by law. That's the right. Supreme Court has been used as an instrument against us. And it's still being used as an instrument against you. Explain that. Because, because initially, uh, when, when the Constitution was written, all the Constitution did was picked up the old public policy that, were, that had already begun on black folk. When black folk first arrived in this country in 1619, there was approximately 20 blacks. By 1634, the Maryland colony came into existence. That time you had about 40, 45 blacks in the country. Mm -hmm. By 1638, something very profound happened, Daryl, that every black person in this country needs to understand. Something very, very profound. What happened in 1638? The Maryland colony put out its first public edict. And what that edict said is that black folks shall never enjoy the fruits of white society. That is very key to what's been happening to you for 400 years. And that is written and established in American that, code. It that's right. Codified as law. That's right. And so, and between that point, let's say about up for about the next 20 years, for instance, uh, the the European colonies were putting pressure on this country, saying, hey, we didn't send you to America to have a good time, just enjoy yourself and sit back and relax. We sent you to relax. We sent you to America to produce the wealth, to resources for our European you know, continent. And, uh, and most of the colonies were sending letters back saying, hey, we can't do anything in this country. We don't have the wherewithal. Uh, it would take us a lifetime to clear the forest, to move the bricks, to get rid of the snakes and rocks. And we need a labor force to do it. And at that point in time, the, the, the white society knew they had a need so they, what happened, they brought together a very strong sense of community around that need and said, we got to find a way of resolving that problem. And they looked back at that public edict was put out in Maryland in 1638, which says black folks should never enjoy the fruits of white society, mm -hmm. and they expanded it. Right. So by 1664, 1665, uh -huh. every colony in the United States enacted a, a slave law that says black folks shall now constitute a subordinated, excluded, uncompensated, non-competitive, 
managed workforce for the personal comfort and wealth building of white society. And that became your public policy that remained in existence up until recent time. Why isn't that? Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and jump in right here because that that's why it's so important, family, that we know our history. Because when you don't know your history, then you can be tricked into thinking or believing that you live in a country that offers equal opportunity. And as Dr. Claude Anderson just laid out, this country was built on the foundation of unequal opportunity. So how do you think then you could go into their system of politics and make it an equal opportunity situation? It's not going to work like that, family. This has been institutionalized, as Dr. Claude Anderson mentioned. Institutionalized, which means this is law, this is policy. And I'm actually reading a book now. It's, the book is The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews. And in uh, book two, and in this, it talks about how the Jews were able to come over to America and assimilate themselves, not what the common narrative is in the North with the abolitionists or with the uh, Yankees, as they call them, or, you know, with the uh, Northern, in, in the North, most of the Jews, as they migrated over to America, assimilated, which means they integrated themselves into the society or the fabric of the country under the Confederacy. See, they able they was able to come in and become successful, not in the North, but in the South, where there was the most heavily concentrated population of black people. Now, you tell me if that was a coincidence or not, but the fact that the, that white Jews could come in, assimilate themselves into the fabric of America under the Confederacy, under Dixie, under white supremacy, under the Christian Southern white supremacist racist Ku Klux Klan white man, and not only be accepted because there's historical evidence that there was not much anti-Semitism, if any, between the Jew and the Gentile, which is his brother, the Christian Southern Dixie racist, had no beef between them, and they was able to come together on common grounds, which is white supremacy and the oppression of Black people. That's heavy stuff. Because as Dr. Claude Anderson mentioned, this becomes policy. So the Jews come into the community and they, as they get more ingratiated in different townships and things of that nature, they become part of the civic movement. They become part of the politics. They become involved civically. They're in the social clubs. They're in all of the different um, uh, um, country clubs. You feel me? So they're getting engaged civically. And you can see how many mayors there were in the, in the South that were Jewish. In all the Southern countries that are majority Black, you have Jewish mayors. You have Jewish people in politics who are helping to establish racism in America, helping to establish the use of Black bodies as a labor force, as Dr. Claude Anderson just mentioned to help create and generate wealth for white folks. And this is, it just dawned on me how much of that is connected as I read the book and I start to understand how they was able to uh, 
because there's a lesson in that in that as well. We could follow the lesson and become successful because this is what Jews did with their relationships to their Christian brothers to us that helped them become powerful. We could utilize the same methodology. See, because one of the things in the black community, we don't get civically involved. We don't join country clubs. We don't get a part of social clubs. We don't become the commissioners and the and the uh, and the treasurers on in our local government. We don't become congressmen and, and and things of that nature. Council women, sheriffs. We don't become that in our community. So when we don't have power in our community, then we subject to anybody who is in power. Okay, but let me get off this. Back to Dr. Claude Anderson. taught in public education now. Why don't we know that? <clears throat> because because what happened immediately after that, all the institutions jumped in and all the nations of this country jumped in to justify slavery, enslaving the black folk. And so the, the, the religious institutions said, well, we have to base it on something. Mm -hmm. So they said, let's base it on uh, on, uh, on on Bible, on biblical principles. Uh -huh. Saying the Bible that the blacks were all shoot of hands, so therefore God had decreed the black folk should be enslaved. Uh, and that stayed in effect for about maybe a couple of hundred years, about a hundred some years. And all of a sudden they moved over to the biological and said, well, bio blacks are just basically biologically inf inferior. So well, from, from that's, one that's what the bell curve is telling you about now. And the bell curve, of course, is the controversial book, uh, Assaulting uh, Black Intelligence as Genetically Inferior. That's right. And see, that's another good point that Dr. Claude Anderson makes right there, family, because first, Anybody that's just coming in, family, assalamu alaikum, peace and blessings, black power. Welcome to the Campaign TV show. I am your host, Brother King Cam. And what we're doing is we're breaking down this interview in 1995 that Dr. Claude Anderson did talking about how the black vote always benefits everybody but black people. OK, how the black vote benefits black vote benefits everyone but the blacks. OK, and one of the things that he just mentioned. Hold on. One of the things that he just mentioned was the fact that people come into this country and build off of our wealth. Let me run it back real quick. Inferior. So well, from that, black folks should be enslaved. Uh, so they said, let's base it on uh, on uh, on on Bible on biblical principles. Uh -huh. Saying the Bible that the blacks were all shoot of hands, so therefore God had decreed the black folks should be enslaved. Uh, and that stayed in effect for about maybe a couple of hundred years, about a hundred some years. And all of a sudden they moved over to the biological and said, well, bio blacks are just basically biological. OK, that's what I wanted to touch on, because what he's talking about now is eugenics. See, he's talking about the Darwin movement. He's talking about eugenics. He's talking about I can't think of his sister, Margaret Sanger. That's her name. Talking about Margaret Sanger, where they perpetuate the lie that black people are genetically inferior. So you get your, you get your, uh, your Hitlers, you understand me? And the Aryan nation and the superior race and all of that kind of foolishness. That's what you get with the biological, but you also have to understand the connection between the biblical uh, scriptures that he's referring to as black people being the offspring or seed of Ham, which is one of Noah's sons, and being basically cursed by God or being divinely uh, be, be, being divinely instructed to be under slavery or be cursed for all of our time on the planet Earth. OK, the curse of Ham. You heard of the curse of Ham. All right. Well, that has derived from Jewish scholarship. That's where that came from. That's where the. Curse of hand came from that was not something that we was taught 
or something that we put out there that comes out of the Jewish scholarship because they actually have it in the Talmud, the Jewish Talmud. So any Jewish scholars or any rabbis who study the Talmud, they perpetuate the curse of hand, which is something that's not real. That's what Dr. Claude Anderson is talking about, family. So you got an enemy, black man, black woman, you have an enemy. And all of these great minds, Dr. Claude Anderson, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, W.E.B. Du Bois, Booker T. Washington, all of their studies and writings is to teach you, you and I, in 2020, what is coming down the pipeline if we don't change our behavior, if we don't change the methodology that we use, if we expect true and free liberation, we have to change our actions. Why let them so long? So that means we can't continue to do the same thing. We still marching and protesting. Martin Luther King was marching and protesting in 65. How was it in 2020 we're still marching and protesting? Huh? That's insane. That's the definition of insanity if you continue to do the same thing that you were doing before without getting different results. So let's get back to this. Period. So well, from, from one <laughs> long... the bell curve is telling you about now. And the bell curve, of course, is the controversial book uh, assaulting uh, black intelligence as genetically inferior that's right as the author alleges that's right is the case that's uh, an extension of the original public policy that's put into place in back in the 16th century as an extension of that public policy i think the key here is public policy what you talked about and outlined in very brief form is how public policy has been designed in this country around the suppression of a singular racial group that's right i want to deal with some definitions okay public policy was used to the extent that black people would be suppressed. Coming forward in time, blacks thought that the great salvation of the race could be summed up in one word, integration. Is that true? Yes, let me go pick up that public policy, bring you up to that. That public, public policy stayed in effect until let's say 1705, for instance. In 1705, it was codified in what we call the slave, uh, slave code. Mm -hmm. And the slave code said at that time defined how in the future all whites would behave and how blacks would behave. <clears throat> and that's why I would call the Southern ethics, where blacks could not challenge whites or raise his hand to defend himself against a white person. And, and in fact, white people were told that it was their duty, in fact, to suppress. That's right. And uh, severely that's right. handle blacks that's in order right. to enforce the status quo, or they themselves would be considered that's lawbreakers. Right. right. In other words, they, they violated the code. The white code, mm -hmm. and see, uh, and that time, what 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 the code says is that every white must in fact must must enforce this code. Uh, every religious institution must subscribe to it. All levels of government must be responsible to it. Okay, mm -hmm. it must be passed on passed on through your social customs, but and also through your laws. Mm -hmm. I put a lot of those laws in the back of the book, right? Okay, and that and once that was codified in 1705, everybody understood the law. Mm -hmm. Then by 1710, for instance, uh, Virginia then said now that we have a unified white community, they then broke up the black community by passing what they call meritorious manumission right. in 1710. And what that says now is to make sure that blacks never have a strong sense of community, a unified self, we will 
grant meritorious manumission. That's why all these southern states had meritorious manumission laws to any black who goes against his own people. Which in effect said that black could be freed. That's right. To enjoy rights and privileges in the society for becoming traitors to their own rights. Right. As a free black. Mm -hmm. But it would never be comparable to a white. Right. So when that, that law was passed, then, then we found that, that, that a black would be rewarded for squealing another black, what we call crabbing. And out of a possible 150 so-called insurrections or revolts, slave revolts, a black person squealed in every one of them. Okay, and he was rewarded for squealing on blacks. That's when you get the crabbing in the Which black society. Why there was virtually never a successful black. Yeah, that's revolt. right. And, but, but see, and, and that kind of, that kind of a system was never used against any other group in this country. No other group, Chinese, Hispanics, or stop snitching, fam. Stop snitching. And I say that, and I'm not talking about people that's out here committing crimes against innocent people. I'm not talking about people that's out here committing crimes and have their uh, partners or, you know, everybody that they're working with and everybody's doing dirt together. Everybody's selling drugs, everybody robbing or whatever the case may be. And then you get caught and then you think it's OK to go and tell on everybody else. I'm not talking about that because. That right there is breaking code. You decided that you was going to be a criminal, so you must face the consequences of being a criminal. You cannot back out and snitch. You knew that before you got started. But what we're talking about is the mindset of those who are working to try to liberate our people. And then you have these Uncle Tom, weak, weak minded, weak, no backbone having Negroes that come and instead of just staying out the way or doing what they do. They come into the community and they infiltrate and they try to take down what we're trying to set up. So this is what you're seeing with Ice Cube. You're seeing Ice Cube being attacked by weak-minded Negroes because they part of the menu, uh, the, the, the mandatory menu mission club. See, they getting paid. They getting a check to sell out their own people. And this is something that Dr. Claude Anderson mentioned was not used on anybody else. That's why you don't see it in the other communities. You don't see Asians snitching on other Asians trying to stop the rise of the Asian community. You don't see Arabs. You don't see Jews. You don't see anybody else doing this except for us. We will attack our own people for trying to help us be free. You have people out here now that are attacking Ice Cube for trying to help us be free by just saying we need to get something for our vote. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm damn sure not telling you to vote for Donald Trump. What I'm telling you to do is demand something for your vote. Get a tangible. Don't just swap out the bodies. Because when you're swapping out the bodies, they still have the same mind. And if you're not going to put the pressure on them, if you're not going to demand something, if you're not going to leverage the power of our unity and our economic power, to demand something for yourself, then what you voting for? You voting because you're a personality worshiper. You voting because you don't like Donald Trump personality. You can't swallow the things that he says out of his mouth. You can't swallow the things that he tweets on his Twitter. So because it's so obnoxious to you, you want to switch the personality, but you didn't ask the personality that you're switching Donald Trump out for what am I going to get for my vote? What am I going to get for us going up and showing to the polls and wrecking numbers and putting you in office? What are we going to get for that? A, a, a so-called black woman and by, as vice president? 
Are we going to get more money spent on schools than on jails? Are we going to get money put into our community so that we can no longer have food deserts so we can get rid of these checkers, get rid of these Chick-fil-A's, get rid of these McDonald's, Wendy's, Hardee's, all of these fast food death shacks that are only in our community and start to put in some restaurants, some juice bars, get rid of these alcohol, uh, get rid of the liquor stores, get rid of everything that is perpetually killing us, leading to the poor health in our community adding to our insane behavior are you asking for mon funds to be able to 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 make your community a safe and decent place to live or do you just want another white man in the office that's not going to talk to you as rough as donald trump is i mean that's a legitimate question that we have to ask ourselves as we run out here to the polls as we run out here to the polls why are you voting you don't like Donald Trump. Okay, cool. I don't like him neither. But why are you voting? Absolutely. She's not black. She's not. Just because you got dark skin doesn't make you black. Okay? And just because you call yourself that doesn't make you that either. We got white supremacy and black skin all day. And if you know the law, Whatever you classify yourself as on documents is what they call you and the privileges that you have. So you can classify yourself as a Caucasian on paper and you can be as black as I am sitting right here today. But you got Africans that don't identify with the original people. They consider themselves Caucasian. You have people like Sister Kamala Harris, who does not identify herself as original people or aboriginal but as a caucasian woman on her paperwork now for the sake of running for office and to get the black vote she has to use the black card you know that's when all her hbcu credentials come out that's when all of her sorority sisters come out that's when all of that stuff happens you know but we got to think about why are we voting because this whole entire system has been structured to keep us in an inferior position and if you're not working to come out of inferiority, what are you doing? We're not showing up here for no popularity contest. We're showing up for tangibles. What can you do for me? You understand? If that's not the mindset, then you are working under mandatory manumission. As Dr. Claude Anderson just alluded to, that's when the United States government, white people, would pay black people to become snitches in their own community. You would go and turn your brothers and sisters in. So you know Samuel L. Jackson from the Django? He's a worthy of mandatory manumission award. And we have a lot of those Sambos Samuel Jackson from Django Negroes in the community today who will run the white folks and tell what we have planned for our liberation in order to please the slave master. You got to watch out for them. Because see, they worse than white folks. They worse than the racist, white supremacy. Because see, white supremacy, they're not even 
you know, sugarcoating their stuff. They don't even sugarcoat. They give it to you straight R-A-W. Like Donald Trump, he give it to you raw. He not sugarcoating nothing. You want somebody that's going to that's gonna slide up in there with all that lying, all that tricknology, all those code words like minority, like, uh, you know, all of these different terms that they use to try to tr trick you out of your position and try to act like they better because they can speak more fluently and they're not just straightforward as people like Donald Trump. And you should research the candidates you're voting for. Yes, absolutely. And I told you I was going to put some of these uh, comments up on the screen. Let me let me put some of these up here. Put the last one up here. Well, and you should research the candidates you're voting for. Who goes to a doctor who they know nothing about? Absolutely. Beautiful point. Beautiful point. How you going to go vote somebody in the office, local, state, or national, and you know nothing about them and expect them to be competent to run the country? I mean, you just expect them to run... To, to be competent enough to do this. I mean, that's how Trump got in there the first time because the leadership prior to him wasn't competent and anybody had a shot. And because we hadn't seen any results prior to, Donald Trump was, hey, man, what the hell? What else do we got to lose? That's why it's important that we now have to become civically involved. You can no longer sit on the sideline and talk about what the politicians are doing and you don't know nobody that's actively a politician actively working in the community on some level of government. How you expect to become free and you don't have no representation on government and then get upset when you got the Uncle Tom Coon Negroes that rep that's supposed to represent black people in government, but they're not. Obviously they're not because they're not from our community. I mean, that's just simple, plain and simple. So we got to understand that family. But let me get back to Dr. Claude Anderson. Thank you all for watching. Thank you all for tuning in. And if you're just getting here, we, we are with Dr. Claude Anderson, interview from 1995, talking about how the black vote benefits everyone but black folks. So let's get back to it. Or uh, any other group. Or oh, you make a strong case in the text uh, for the singular selection, the purposeful uh, separating out of people of the black race for this kind of treatment, treatment on this continent. To make sure there was never a strong sense of community because a strong sense of community was a threat to the, to the white society. I remember mean, at public politics that you should be non-competitive. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, the only monument right now in this country that I'm aware of that even recognized and honored a black for being that kind of a black still still in existence up in Harpers Ferry, you know where John Brown had his raid that yeah, night? Sure. If you ever go up there right outside the hotel, there's a big brown box there. There's a big monument carved, a carving to the black slave who jumped off the porch the night John Brown's troop, troops entered the, entered the town mm -hmm. and John Brown killed him. The town erected a monument to the Sambo saying this is the kind of black we like. Going from the historical codifying of suppression of blacks mm -hmm. to the point where we had a civil rights movement in this country. Uh, the first civil rights movement uh, is not the one that gets talked about very often. In the book, you talk about the first time blacks were freed. Mm -hmm. And you talk about how that freedom was really an illusion. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Why weren't blacks free after they were emancipated <clears throat> following the Civil well, War? Because first of all, what they gave blacks was three things. Firstly, set him free, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, secondly, they gave him a, a supposedly due 14th Amendment due process mm-hmm. and the right to vote. And uh, but those things had no 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 power attached to him. Blacks mm-hmm. did not protect themselves with that because see everything in the society was based on your ability to be able to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so blacks were set free at that time, naked, penniless, ignorant, defenseless, mm-hmm. without clothing, animals, livestock, land. Mm-hmm. And so they so they so they were abandoned. And you gave him civil rights and uh, and uh, uh, and the Fourteenth Amendment. Mm-hmm. He couldn't use them. See, first of all, between let's take the Fourteenth Amendment, which is now ones we hear a lot about. Between uh, for the rest of between eighteen sixty six and let's say nineteen hundred, mm-hmm. that Fourteenth Amendment was used three hundred and nineteen times. Okay, mm-hmm. out of that three hundred and and fourteen times, but was by corporations, not blacks. Mm-hmm. Blacks used it about four to five times, and guess what happened? They lost every time. Mm -hmm. Blacks never used the 14th Amendment until 1954. But all major corporations use it. That's when you hear about corporations now being an entity, a person. person. They used that 14th Amendment that was given to blacks. They gave it to corporations. And what they did, and immediately in in around 1870, they took blacks' rights from them. Mm -hmm. Okay? Because they didn't have any power. Once again, the rights were... Basically suppressed. It was just suppressed. That, that which had been written into law <clears throat> was now effectively thrown, thrown out. out because blacks couldn't protect themselves. They had no power. And also, what had happened at that point in time is that between 1619, when blacks first came in the country, and until the emancipation, all the wealth in this country and all the power was built around the black slave himself. That's where your money and power came from. Contrary to what people keep talking about, well, you know, land is the most important. Land was never important. Land, Daryl, was totally useless without blacks. As a matter of fact, then uh, President Jackson said that blacks brought 75 percent of the value to land. You can come in this country and immigrant go any place you want to find all the land free. You can just stake, drive a stake in the ground and say, I own here that next street. Nobody cared. They had no value. It only had value when you put black slaves on. And that's why all the wealth was concentrated in the South. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, in, in 1860, right. out of 66 percent out of, out of, of all the persons in this country had over $100,000 worth. We're in the South. Right. As a matter of fact, and the uh, uh, <clears throat> out of the five million blacks who were enslaved, they had a net investment value of over eight billion dollars. That eight billion dollars was more wealth than all the other corporations and federal government put together. True. As a, a white man in the South who had two black slaves was richer than any person in the North. But if you threw the average person North, I threw in his house, his business, his land, his clothes, his all net worth, and his bank account. Mm-hmm. Well, primarily because it was free labor. It was free labor. You, free labor. you work them until they die. That's right. And, and, and the thing with, thing with the black is you had to work him unto death, but you could not let him grow old right. because so you had no way of taking care of him. Economic liability. That's right. He became a liability. You had to work him to death early. Seeing then that the policy was set to keep blacks in a place of servitude, cheap or free labor, mm-hmm. the country set about to make a set of rules, enforce them through institutions, government, the courts. Uh, and basically ensure that blacks through the immigration process would not grow to equal or majority status in the population. Uh, In the book, you outline that we're built in as a, quote, minority, unquote, never to exceed a certain statistical level. Right. In, in, the early, in the early part of the 1700s, <clears throat> black, black slaves became such a good thing. Everybody was hauling black mm-hmm. slaves into the country. And uh, from Africa, they shipped approximately, from most of the research I can get, somewhere between 35 and 50 million blacks out of Africa. Over two-thirds of them died in route and captured. But in this country, 
the black slave population, let's say, hit its peak about 17, about the 1750s. We had over 34 percent of the, pop, the general population of this country was black at that time. That scared this country to death. They found out that the number reached that high. And in the southern states like Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, and Georgia, the population of blacks had gone somewhere between 55 and 60 percent. And they said, and so what the colonies started doing then was started saying to England, and it, remember now, England was franchising slavery. They set up a franchising system for slavery. They were making all the money and the wealth. Most of the wealth of this country was going to England because the England passed laws saying this country could not own, could not produce anything except cash crops and send it to England. England would manufacture it, you know, and send it back, sell it back to them. And that's what the Revolution War was over. The Revolution War was over black people. The wealth that black people were producing in this country <laughs> in cotton, textile, rice, indigo, tobacco, mm -hmm. that, and molasses, syrup, sugar. That was, that's what the fight was over. <clears throat> but the black population hit somewhere around 34%. And, when, and after the Revolutionary War, they said the first thing we're gonna do is to make sure we get that black population down because it's a threat to us. So in 1790s, right after the Revolutionary War, the first act of the new Congress was to pass the enact what we call the first naturalization and, uh, and uh, immigration law, which says this is a white country, white man's country, period. And we slapped a, a zero quota on blacks in this country. No other group had the kind of quotas or limits in terms of immigration to this country placed on them. The blacks did. That's right, because because they did not want blacks to be a threat. Even and that's why they passed. They also passed um, manumission laws to stop anti-manumission laws, mm -hmm. saying that we do not want more than two percent of the blacks in this country to be free slaves at any particular time. And that's why a lot of people could not free the slaves because they were threatened by the free slaves. But the worst thing in, in, the white, in the white society's mind was an uncontrolled, unmanaged black person because it violated the public policy on blacks. And so they, so they, they stopped a lot of people from freeing the slaves. But those immigration laws is, is part of your problem that you have now in Haiti. So you cannot, they don't want to raise that immigration. The present population in this country with blacks is 12.3, which is exactly what it is for Africans in the world, 12.3. And with the black population from Africa, the world population. But also it's important to know that that's why integration won't work for the same reason. Now, you come forward in time to the question. Mm -hmm. Now, the book spends a lot of time outlining the historical problems right. facing blacks. It spends a lot of time talking about what's wrong for blacks in America, as well as what's wrong with blacks in America. Lest people think that this is strictly a history lesson, let me rush in to say that the book is filled with exposition on solution-oriented plans and strategies for turning this situation around. Uh, it doesn't necessarily call for violent overthrow of no, the government no, no. either. <laughs> no, we don't do that. Uh, it is not, and let me let me ask you this question, it's not an assertion of socialistic or communistic principles, is it? No, no. See, the, pr the primary, the, pr the basis of, of, of the book is saying that black people's future is in their past. You have to understand. And secondly, uh, from my perspective, See, I, I've never had any inclination towards socialism, nationalism, any other ism. My only ism is blackism in this perspective, that I want black folk. Mm, that's heavy right there, family. That's heavy. He said, he said that the future for black people is in their past. Ooh, that's a tweet. That's a tweet. He said the future for black people is in our past. That's why history is so important. That's why history is so important. The future for black people is in our past. If you are just joining us, welcome to the Campaign TV show. I am your host, Brother King Cam. And what we are doing is we are listening to our brother, Dr. Claude Anderson, an elder. You understand? A brilliant mind on the liberation 
of black people in America. And he's talking from the interview in 1995 that he did that said how the black vote is used to benefit everyone but blacks. So I just ask that everybody like, engage, comment, share, so that we can get this to as many people as possible. Let's get back to Dr. Claude Anderson. I see myself as an empowerment pragmatist, saying how do we get from where we need to go as quickly as possible to save ourselves from becoming a permanent underclass in this country by the year 2013? And one of the ways that you say will not work is integration. integration. Oh, integration. Well, black people think that integration is the way to go. And oh, white God. folk have fought, have fought forever. Liberal white folk have mm -hmm. thought that integration is the way to go. Oh, sure. If I was white, too, because I really got you boxed in now. Mm -hmm. See, because because that public policy, look back at public policy again. At the turn of the century, that public policy was picked up by our organization, NAACP and Urban League. Mm -hmm. They saw it and they said, now we're going to come into existence and try to help black folk. What can we do? They were only permitted to help black folk in the context of the public policy. The public policy said black shall be a managed labor force. Mm -hmm. so, so the precepts of the Urban League and the NAACP was to help black folks find equal employment opportunity. See what I'm saying? And uh, and by the mid-1920s, Garvey and someone said, hey, hold a second, how about some economic? And they said, no, that's out. And so we could never move blacks into starting their own businesses as, as a national public policy. So in the mid-1920s- Because again, the law stipulated that blacks cannot nobody, have businesses no, compete with whites they couldn't or compete. do anything that would bring profitability to blacks and take it away from whites. Even through they, 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 they utilize legal and extra legal means to keep blacks out. In many cases where blacks, you see, nobody in this country is more qualified, for instance, raising tobacco, raising cotton to black folk, okay, and taking care of livestock. In many instances, they would even poison the blacks' livestock. They would burn his, they would burn his cotton, burn his wheat. Uh, so blacks could not, and that's why if you look in the back of the book, you see all kind of laws that says blacks should not compete with blacks and all, compete with whites and the whole number of things. But by, but by the mid-60s, what happened in the middle of the civil rights movement there was that, uh, Contrary to, to, to what's popular taught, uh, black folk didn't get free in the mid-60s. What happened at that point in time was that the uh, that technology finally caught up with that labor need for blacks. And for the first time, the public policy said, hey, we don't no longer need blacks to open doors and shine shoes and wash dishes and mop floors. We got technology that can do it. And when that happened, something very profound happened again for to the public policy. And what they had to do then was say, the white society said, aha, now we've got to change this public policy. So what they said is that now that we that black we no longer need blacks, what we have to do is go into a new period called benign neglect, okay, yeah. or callous indifference, yeah. or out of sight, out of mind. So then they said, so Monaghan came up with a policy by the late 60s saying, or early 70s saying, uh, it's time for us to move from uh, focusing on black folk to focus on Indians, Hispanics, and women. But they also said what we must do in our new public policy is first of all, make sure that all of our public policies at every level show no express no guilt for what has happened to black folk. Point one is typically important. That's heavy. That's heavy. Because they went from working their whole plan and creating government policy that will oppress black people, that keep us in an inferior position, to now where they now just completely ignoring black folks. So not only did they have you in an inferior position, had all the laws and stuff set up, policies in place to keep you poor, broke, raggedy, and out of doors. But now they move to a place where, okay, now they're in that condition, we're just going to ignore them. Now, with all the immigrants coming in, whether they're Asian, whether they are, uh, you know, of any other descent, they're coming into America now, and we're going to focus on them. We're even going to focus on women. We're going to separate women <laughs> as a whole total 
totally separate group. We're going to give them their own rights. We're going to give them their own laws. We're going to give them their own policy. But we're going to completely ignore black people. That's heavy. And as Dr. Claude Anderson is about to talk about how in the policy included expressing no guilt for what they have done. That's why it's virtually impossible to talk with white people about slavery and about the past dealing with black folks because it's public policy, number one. Number two, it is a guilt trip on them to even bring it up. But they don't talk like that when the Jews bring up the Holocaust. They don't talk like that when anybody else brings up the past atrocities that America did or anybody else did to them to justify their cry for equality, to justify their cry for freedom, justice, and equality. But with black people, they don't even want you to talk about it. You can't even talk about slavery because that was so long ago. You wasn't born. You wasn't a slave. You don't know nobody that was a slave. You keep talking about slavery. You keep talking about the past. We got to move forward. We got to work together. All the minorities have to work together. That's what they say. But all that is just a bunch of smoke. All of that is a bunch of talk. It's a bunch of, you know, symbol, no substance, family. And this is why we have not been able to get anything done. You need to leave these people alone. That's the best thing to do. I know black people is messed up. I know we are. We are, we are messed up people. But it's better that you deal with your people in the condition that we are in and working to come out of, that you to continue to rely on the enemy that has proven, he has proven without a doubt, as actual facts. He's proven without a shadow of a doubt, presented all the evidence that he's your enemy. He's you and our enemy. He's proven that. There is no reasonable doubt in his case, the white man's case in America, that he has an affinity for black folks. It's, it's no doubt in that. It's no doubt in that. He does not care about black people at all. He has proven that. I don't know what else he has to do. And this is why it's so funny when people say that the minister teaches hate. The minister or the nation of Islam or the most honorable Elijah Muhammad did not have to teach you to hate white people. Just look at their record. Look at their history. Look at what they've done to the original and aboriginal people of the planet Earth. Who needs to teach you to hate a person like that? If their actions didn't teach you to hate them, then there's nothing that you and I could teach you or tell you about them that would cause you to hate them. Their actions speak louder than any words, any speech, any policy that they can put in front of you, any movement, any kumbaya, any holding hands, any locking arms, any taking knees, any holding fists up. All of that's trumped based on their actions. See? We just won't face the, the music. That freedom is going to require sacrifice. Sacrifice. Is going to be required of you, black man, black woman, if you want to really and truly be free. You got to accept your own and be yourself. You got to roll with black folks. 
See, some of us, we, we, we like to be on both sides of the fence. We want to hang out with black folks, but, we, you know, we want to cut out and chill out with white folks and say that all white folks not this and all white folks not that. And we got to preference our comments by saying, I'm not a Muslim, but I, I like to minister, though. Like, we got to do all that shucking and jiving just to keep it one. You ain't got the lie to kick it. And you don't have to be someone other than yourself to be successful. See? Everybody else can be them and be successful except for black people. Black people got to be everybody. Black people got to be inclusive. Black people have to be uh, loving, caring. Black people have to be X, Y, and Z. And I'm not saying that we're not any of these things because by nature, since our nature is that of God, we are all these things. But we have put all these things ahead of self-preservation of our own people, which has been proven detrimental on our behalf because we'll work to lift everybody else up. We'll work to lift up the women's movement. We'll work to lift up, you understand, everybody else's movement, the immigrants, the children in cages, all of that, the animals, we, 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 we with all of that. But when it comes to black people coming together strictly for us, or we gonna have some problems. We ain't gonna never get we ain't gonna never get the ball rolling because we are gonna have somebody somewhere who has something negative to say, and it's only because of self hatred. It's only because you've never seen black people work together and become successful at what they're trying to do. So you really hate yourself. You really hate yourself. So this is an economic breakthrough for you. This is teaching you that your self-hatred has now affected your pockets and it will continue to affect not only your pockets, but your children's pockets and your children's children's pockets. And your family will continue to live in poverty if you don't get your act together today, today, not tomorrow, not years, five years down the road, today. In the spirit of atonement, you need to get your act together and start to get involved civically in your community grassroots community, get somewhere where some spiritual principles are being taught, whether it's a church, a mosque, a synagogue, a temple, and join the fight for liberation and understand if you don't know, listen and be taught something. Stop going in trying to do a bunch of talking. You need to go in humble and just listen. That's how we're going to be successful. Come on, Dr. Claude Anderson. Let's go ahead and close this thing out, beloved. Point two is that we show no responsibility or obligation to help blacks in any manner, okay? Which means affirmative action, anything else. Point three is to make sure nothing is done to transfer that wealth that I told you, 100% wealth on one side sheet over to blacks, that that never occurs. Right. And so, and so, and that is what we've been locked into from, from, from the mid 60s up to today. But once again, the civil rights movement focused on integration. The right. civil rights movement said if we can move into their neighborhoods, if we can go to schools with them, if we can sit at the same lunch counters with them, then we'll make the breakthroughs we need to make to end this codified evil right. called racism. Because we had been pursuing, since, since that original mandate in 1638 excluded us, saying black folks should never enjoy the fruits of white society, that's been locked in our mind to enjoy the fruits of white society. So we want to integrate. But nobody else in this, in this country ever wanted to integrate there. What they want to do is assimilate. They've always had the option to assimilate by the second generation. The difference being? The difference being that they can move in and blend in. They can intermarry and blend in. And, uh, and by the second generation, you can't tell who's who. 
uh, or they can have the option of setting up a little, little Haiti, a little, a little Havana, a little Cuba, or a little whatever you want, a little Italy. But black folks want to integrate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and integrate kill us for a number of reasons. Right. I'll try to get these points in okay. very quickly. One, first of all, integration is nothing but a new modified form of segregation. Only thing now you've broken your people down to a smaller unit. You've defied the first premise of power, which is you don't have no longer have numerical power. Mm-hmm. Now you're in little small groups all around large urban areas. Mm-hmm. That's point one that's going to knock our brains out. Point two is that the white society maintains what we call a racial balance mm-hmm. or what we call a tipping point, which says that I will accept black folk in primarily at zero, but I will tolerate them anywhere from up to five to eight percent of any given population. But the minute they cross that five to eight percent population, it is no longer integration. It's now mm-hmm. invasion. And I must take action against it. So I'll either take my kids out of school, put my house up for sale, move my business to the suburbs, or I will resign from the organization, okay? Because I'm not going to let him get that dominance over me. Third, third thing that immigration does is done for you, it, it destroyed all your major businesses because they use the highway system to drive expressways right down the center of every black community in this, in this country. And where blacks used to have major business opportunities right. in the country, they were all destroyed. Four, we find that also we got a major capital drain. Black, there's a basic rule in economics which says you must spend your money in your community and make it bounce five, I mean, eight to 12 times before it leaves. Black community, black money never bounced one time. Black folk have approximately $300 billion passing through our hands annually. Right. That money doesn't even bounce in our communities. There are other things that you mentioned in the book that are evils to black empowerment. We don't have a lot of time left, but in the closing moments, I just want to throw out some key terms that you express in the book. Okay and get your very brief reaction to them. First of all, black empowerment is not the same as empowerment, is it? No, why? Because empowerment, in my definition, means giving people the the, the psychological feeling of competence and ability to compete. Now keep in mind, and I told you back on on that public policy, Mm -hmm. they did just the opposite in the conditioning system, was to tell Mm -hmm. you that you could never compete with with the white society, and that they they passed laws that restricted you from competing, and then also in in their conditioning element, they made you see your future and your well-being only through the eyes mm-hmm. of the master, mm-hmm. okay? And so when I talk about self-empowerment, I'm talking about how do you get my people to be able to, to feel self-confident mm-hmm. that, they, that they can pick up resources and be just as competitive as any other group. Group economics. Group economics. We have to start practicing group economics, which means you have to start spending your, you got to quit, you got to stop the fight of, of black capital out of this community, out of our communities. Probably what's happening is black folk are spending 95% of our money in the suburbs, okay? And we leave about 3%, 5% in the community. 3% that goes to non-black businesses. Blacks are left with 2% of their annual disposable income. It is humanly impossible for you to live off of 2% of the income. So what happens now is that we've been able the white community to live off of two incomes, to live off of 100% of their income and 95% of blacks' income. Okay, because both the white community and the black community are boycotting black businesses. That is the primary thing that's killing black businesses. It's not the fact that blacks don't know management, don't know cost analysis, accounting, control, or personnel right. management. It's because both the black and white community are killing black businesses by boycotting. We also know we don't practice quid pro quo in politics, mm-hmm. which means you got to say to, your, say to your people in an election, what can you do for me whether you're black or white if I vote for you? Right. And, and presently, the system is that since black folk are subordinate to and excluded from the system, we can only do what's mainstream. And if they do what's mainstream, nothing's going to happen for black folk. Blacks must reach a point of self-determination by the year 2015 in your analysis. That's right. Why? Why? Because at that time, we have about, four, about seven, eight major things are going to wipe us out if we, don't, if we don't do something very quickly by getting some power and wealth, rebuilding our communities and being competitive. One, we anticipate in the next, in the next by the year 2013, approximately eight to six million Hispanics entering this country and four to one million Asians. We have been the number two population in this country 
That's a fact. That's already happened. It's 2020. So you see how many Asians and how many uh, other minorities, ethnicities have migrated into the, into the country. That's crazy. Now, for approximately 400 years, we're going to be pushed from number two down to number four, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, if you didn't get anything for 400 years when you're number two, you figure what you're going to get when you become number four. You're not going to be in, you're going to have to now speak through two other groups. Secondly, crime is going to be a cold word for blacks. Blacks are going to be criminal, further criminalized than they are now. Uh, next thing is going to happen to black folks are going to be forced into what we call the new world order. We're going to have to compete with groups all over the world that we're totally ill-equipped to compete with. Um, and... Uh, but let me get to one other point very quickly. Right. Let me very jump, skip off that second. Very quickly. So, because one of the things I want, I want blacks to also focus on is civil rights. You missed that question about civil rights. Look at him and his time very, very quickly. No, man, no. Let Dr. Claude Anderson do his thing, man. He's looking like one of them black, white, Oreo Negroes. All right. All right. We got to get away from civil rights because that's not the major issue. Civil rights won't give you any power. Neither will integration mm -hmm. because black folk have been so psychologically. Oh, y'all heard that. Civil rights won't give you no power. Civil rights won't give you no power, neither will integration. So politically and so economically damaged, Daryl, by 400 years of deprivation and exploitation, mm -hmm. that civil rights and integration won't even reach us. Mm -hmm. We can't be reached by it. And we can't be, it, it do nothing for us. As a matter of fact, even if you're going to talk about civil rights, then switch it. Right. Instead of talking about, look, gays talk about gay rights, handicaps, handicap rights, feminines, females, feminist rights, uh, veterans, veteran rights. Right. And you get the black folk, why do you talk about civil rights? I don't know any blacks named civil. Talk about right. black rights. Okay. Instead of talking about social integration, talk about economic integration. The book is Black Labor, uh, White Wealth, The Search for Power and Economic Justice. Claude Anderson, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Sarah, for having me. And of course, you are watching Detroit Black Journal. Well, family, that was the Detroit Black Journal with our dear brother, Dr. Claude Anderson. He did a wonderful, wonderful uh, job. Uh, discussing the plight of black America at that time in 1995, what we should expect in 2013, in 2015, here it is in 2020, and everything that he said in that interview was absolutely true. Now, before we move forward, because we're actually closing down, if you would like to donate, you can check out all of the places that we accept donations via Cash App, Dollar Sign, Campaign TV Show, or you can use our PayPal which is www.paypal.com backslash bro king cam if you'd like to send in a donation uh, for the show and to help us to continue to upgrade and be better. But now, as what Dr. Claude Anderson gave us in that interview was heavy. He talked about the wealth gap. He talked about how white supremacy and racism was infused into politics, into institutionalized racism, how they made it policy how they put it on the paper. So no matter how much you marched, how many sit-ins, lay-ins, bow-ins that you did was not gonna affect the policy that was on the paper. So you had two choices, which is either to get into their system and change their policy, which they would never allow you to do, or separate yourself from their system and build something for yourself. So the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad said that separation is the best and only answer to the black and white problem in America. But we didn't like that. We wanted to hang out with white folks too much. And you see in 2020 where it has gotten us. So as we head towards the polls, because I don't advocate for people to 
be persuaded to any side to vote. You vote your conscience, vote your consciousness. But I just put out the information that I believe is pertinent so that you can make the best and most educated decision when it comes to voting. So if you haven't voted already, just think about this stuff. Think about what Ice Cube is doing. Think about the fact that he's asking, what are you going to do if we vote for you? Because that's something that Dr. Claude Anderson pointed out. He said that we don't practice quid pro quo, which is whatever you're going to do, what do I get? What are you going to do for me if I vote for you? We have never asked that question. We voted Bill and coined him the first black president, which was sick. Then we get Barack Obama in. We don't ask him, what are you going to do if we vote for you? But we vote him in. Get him in. And I know, family, I know. To all my conscious brothers, the presidents are selected, not elected. Okay, I understand. But <clears throat> for the purposes of this conversation, we're talking about how our vote was used to help get people in position, and we did not get anything for it. So let's keep that in mind. You know, we're not here, like I mentioned earlier, as for a popularity contest. We're here to get tangibles. Whoever is willing to deliver the goods is who we're talking to. Whether it's Democrat, Republican, Independent, don't matter. Whoever's willing to deliver the goods. Now, we know the two that control the House. And I always wonder why they only give the platforms to the Democratic and Republican Party. You notice that? You don't see that the independent candidate that's on the ballot didn't get any mainstream media time. Did you notice that? They didn't have no feature with them on 60 Minutes. You know, they talked to Kamala, they talked to Joe, they talked to President Trump, and they talked to Mike. But you don't see how the independent candidate doesn't get any mainstream media. So you can kind of see how this thing is controlled where they want you to either be on one side of the two aisles that they give you. But people do run as independents. And that's one of the biggest things people talk about. Well, okay, you should vote because you don't have to vote Democrat or Republican. You could vote independent. The problem is if you don't do your due diligence on who the independent running candidate is, you're not going to know who they are. Leave it up to mainstream media. They're only going to put in front of you Democrat or Republican. So we just need to make sure that we are thinking, family, as the election moves closer and closer, things start to heat up. My question is, what are we going to do if Donald Trump is reelected as president of the United States of America? You know, the, the Democrats have pulled out all the stops. They got all the athletes. They got LeBron. They got Serena. They got Michael Jordan. They done pulled politic, uh, athletes out the cut. They don't even traditionally talk about sports. But they ain't got Michael Jordan talk about what's going on in the community. They got all the rappers. They got everybody. They got Barack, Michelle, anybody who you can think of that's pushing this narrative, you know, vote or die. This is the most important election. You know, all of these different narratives to try to get you out to vote. But we need to start to think about how we're going to secure something for ourselves, man. Because if you continue on this path, you're not going to see anything more than what you have seen up until this point. You're not going to receive anything more than what you have received up until this point. Because while all of those circumstances that Dr. Claude Anderson highlighted, 
the biggest one that stands out to me was the fact that we now have to take responsibility and accountability for our own condition. How long are we going to depend on white people to do for us what we have the power to do for ourselves? You have the economic power to free yourself. You don't need no policy for that. You have the ability to make your community a safe and decent place to live. You don't need police reform to do that. You have the ability to protect black women and women in your community and children. You don't need no policy for that. You have the ability to educate your children. You don't need policy for that. So we got to stop making excuses for why we don't step up to the plate as men and as women and take control of our destiny. Because it's our time now. America is falling. The system is falling. So why not try something else? Why not try yourself? Why not bet on yourself? Don't bet on Joe. Don't bet on Donald. Don't bet on any other white man in a power position. Why don't you bet on yourself? Because in the streets, that's what we do. We bet on ourselves. You ain't worried about them out there trying to make it happen for you. So why would you place your legacy in the hands of other people that you know ain't going to make it happen for you, family? Let's just think about it. We got to challenge that fear. We got we to gotta challenge that fear, family. I, I understand. We've been under the slave master's rule for 400 years. And we've been taught a strange teaching from strange individuals. And they took away from you your customs, your religion, your God, your language, your name. So most of us walk around out here completely backwards. We inside out. Because you don't even know who you are to begin to fight for who you are. So I understand. That's why it's important that those of us who have that knowledge, we must commit ourselves to teaching our people, to civilizing our people. Because that's how the people are going to change. It comes through teaching. It starts with the word. The scripture says, in the beginning was the word. And later on, the word became flesh. But it starts with the word. And a lot of people say, well, King Cam, I done been to church, brother. I done been in these places where they teach the word, but you don't see no action. That's because you ain't acting. They gave you the word, but you ain't acting. See, we have a responsibility in all of this. Many of our Christian family think that Jesus came to pay for our sins and there's nothing left for you to do but to run around here and commit more sins. Look, newsflash, it's not it. You have to pick up your cross. <laughs> Jesus had a cross, but you got to pick up your cross. And you got to be accountable, family. So it's on us. It's on us. So again, thank you for watching, listening, tuning in. We certainly appreciate you here at the Campaign TV Show each and every week, every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. 
Eastern Standard Time, man, we always bring in some impactful, some powerful, you know, to help us to deliver our people. The mission is to deliver the dead, huh? Is to raise the dead. That's the mission, family. The mentally and spiritually dead have to be risen. And it takes us to create and use these platforms to do so. If you like to donate to the show, you see it scrolling across the bottom. We got cash out. We got PayPal. You know, whatever you can give. We don't put no dollar amounts on it. Whatever you can spare to help us out, family. Because our people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Destroyed from a lack of knowledge. So may Allah bless you with the light of understanding. Appreciate you, family. Let's get some of this up here. May Allah bless you with the light of understanding. That's right. And I leave you in the greeting words of peace in paradise as we say it in the Arabic language of assalamu alaikum which means peace be unto you. So everybody that's listening to the sound of my voice, I ask that Allah, God, put peace on your life, put peace of mind over you, protect your family, protect your loved ones. And if it be the will of Allah, if it be the will of God, we make it through these dark times, family. So thank you all for listening, watching, tuning in. Peace.